0: love this episode of the healthy project podcast head over to itunes to subscribe rate and leave a review it's very much appreciated be sure to visit www.healthcoachlu.com to join the community newsletter access the show notes and discover our fantastic bonus content Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Dion Lewis. I have special guests in the building today, Dr. Marnie White with the Yale School of Public Health. Dr. White, thank you so much for being on today.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: No, awesome. Hey, it's, it's, it's a pleasure. So, you know, I've I've taken your course. I, I really want to talk a lot about the course today, just kind of get your experience with behavior change and how people can kind of incorporate some of these, you know, strategies into their life right now. With of all course. guests, you know, with all guests, I always start with you know how they got started. So, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, where you started and how you got to this point right now?
1: Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. Yes, so I am a clinical psychologist by original training, and I've been studying. Um, health behaviors for really my entire career. I'm an eating disorders specialist um, and so have been working in clinical trials and developing and testing out empirically supported treatments for the management of eating-related problems ranging from severe eating disorders such as anorexia and bulimia nervosa, as well as obesity and binge eating disorder. Um, Just trying to identify effective treatments And also affect um, also person level or risk factors. So environmental changes that we could be making or structural changes to help people navigate um, and recover from these problems, and then ideally prevent these problems. And so, because I was interested in prevention, I started looking towards public health, which, um, as you probably know, public health approaches medical problems and also behavioral problems from a slightly different perspective than the medical model does and so when we think about illness or sickness and wellness on a continuum we usually think about medical interventions happening at the point of disease or disability um, some sort of clinically significant threshold where we might seek to intervene but public health approaches things much earlier in the process usually in a state of wellness so like a blanket approach applied to everyone in the population um, much like a vaccine. So that in the eventual um, circumstance where someone might be exposed to a disease, uh, they've already been protected against it. So I wanted to learn a lot more about how to prevent eating problems and other kinds of behavioral health-related problems. And so when I was faculty in at Yale in the Department of Psychiatry doing research, I then went and pursued another degree Uh, in the Yale School of Public Health, studying epidemiology and public health approaches to these problems. And then over time, um, started collaborating with researchers there, and then started teaching over there, started teaching courses in behavioral health or social and behavioral foundations of health, where we really look at kind of the cultural and structural predictors or, or components or factors that influence people's well-being, And so it was through that class, and I think probably uh, the fact that I was a psychologist, that I started to become very um, interested in and concerned about student health, um, student mental health, um, and student physical well-being. Um, We know that there are certain developmental periods that with people at risk, usually um, early adulthood, is when people begin to kind of um, have independence over their own health choices. And and we're seeing in in university settings, really what I would characterize as an epidemic of mental health problems, where we're seeing people very stressed out and um, and kind of engaging in in behaviors that are um, kind of, I would say, socially normative, So things like pulling all nighters Mm. or skipping meals or, um, you know, just kind of running them, just working too hard, basically. Right. And so um, a lot of students uh, were approaching me sort of asking for referrals. Asking for mental health resources. And we're seeing that across the country. And this is something that's being talked about and documented and written about in a variety of settings that young adults are really struggling these days. And what are emerging adults, teenagers and, and you know, people in their early 20s. And so whether it's the influence of you know social media, um, disconnecting the screen time, this kind of culture of stress and overwork, probably a combination of all of these factors. And so I thought maybe there's an opportunity. Um, while I'm teaching this class, to teach people and encourage them to take care of themselves through the curriculum. Like essentially, we've got students who are are very focused on success. Obviously, they're pursuing graduate degrees at, at Yale University. Um, they're quite competitive, very uh, achievement focused. Um, but they and so, to that end, they might be sacrificing their own self-care in the pursuit of this kind of professional or academic success. So I thought, okay, is there a way that we could incentivize these students to engage in self-care practices while also teaching them something very useful, a practical skill for use in their careers that might sort of, uh, I don't know, in pursuit of their grade, force them to take care of themselves. So it's kind of a a little risky approach. Um, so, so, we ultimately were able to get administrative approval for this. So basically, said, listen, we're going to teach students to engage in self care in a couple of different domains nutritional, physical activity, and mental wellness, and also social support. And say, I'll give you extra credit. You can raise your grade by a full letter grade if you take Sunday afternoon off, for example, to engage mm-hmm. in some kind of mental wellness activity or to go have fun. And so students had to set these goals and and that was their assignment to go out. They had to do some other things like literature searches in support of the goal that they had chosen. So it wasn't a complete fluff right. <laughs> uh, sort of assignment. Yeah, There was actually a good bit of science and, and academic work around it. But at the end of the day, students were told, listen, if you keep up this behavior for the entire semester and you report that and you document it in a variety of ways to ensure they were actually doing it, you can get a full letter grade increase. And so there's one thing that's pretty universal among Yale students is that they really like to get good grades. And so that kind of external reinforcer was enough to motivate this. And so we were then able to look at outcomes and discover that the students who engaged in these activities and to the extent that they were able to achieve them also experienced improvements in their in their physical well-being and in their mental well-being and so it was it was it was like a a, a curriculum based intervention for the students wow. taking it and we've done it now several times at Yale and so um, the Coursera class is is almost an exact parallel of the course that that I teach at Yale to this day and so we've we've tested it out in a variety of different groups of students and now in the coursera and we're finding that even in the context of the obviously very high stress pandemic circumstances that the individuals taking the class are reporting improvements in depression and stress and and also self-efficacy they're just kind of feeling better about themselves overall so that is the very long tail of mm-hmm. of the class and um and it's essentially like taking a a health psychology or a behavioral psychology treatment approach, but applying it as a prevention strategy.
0: Right. I feel like it was just it was just right on time with where a lot of people were feeling right now. Right. Like yeah. there there was there's was a lot of noise going on. There's a lot of I feel like people needed. Something to stop and focus on and try to get their mental wellness in order in this class kind of allowed them to have a structure for that.
1: I hope so. That's the, I mean, this, of course, when we were creating the class and filming it, um, it, it was in you know production obviously for quite some time. You know, right. that as a media person, it takes a while to get all of these things going. Um, the class was created before the pandemic, yeah. and just kind of fortuitous, I guess, and of course tragic that the pandemic happened, but that this is able to be out there and available as a resource for people um, is is fortunate. And I'm very happy for the people who have taken advantage of it. And I'll tell you, I am absolutely practicing what I preach when the pandemic hit and we knew we would have to stay in isolation for quite some time. I completely quadrupled down on my wellness goals. And I've got my Mm. checkbox sitting, you know, right here, pinned to the wall of all of my behavioral goals that I'm trying to achieve every day. Um, And it helps. It really helps primarily with the stress management. And I I really feel that if I weren't so actively engaged in this, um, that I'd probably be experiencing a much much more significant level of stress and potentially, you know, mental health or emotional consequences as a result. So I kind of feel like it's my duty to my family to engage in these sorts of behaviors, to make sure that we can all kind of make it through this really prolonged high stress situation. I
0: want to get into the mental health part of the course, but there's, there's one part uh, just because it literally just happened to me. I want to say Monday with a patient. So um the, the health halos. There's a there's a section I want to say it's in week two or three. You're talking about health halos. Mm-hmm. And I work, I don't know I don't know if you know the term, but I work for a, a safety net hospital. So can you explain um,
1: more about what that is?
0: Yes. Yeah, so um safety net hospitals are we don't turn anyone down for their lack of being able to pay. So we see a lot of underinsured and uninsured mm-hmm. Uh, that's a lot of the population that we serve, a lot of people that are um, impacted socially. so so a lot of you know people with social determinants of health is like the, the the big term. We see a lot of patients like that. Uh, mm-hmm. and then we see a lot of immigrants, Karen, Kareni, Burmese, mm-hmm. a lot of African you know c- countries. I see a lot of those patients for uh, uh, I'm the primary care health coach there. so in our in our primary care clinic, I see a lot of uh, those patients. Uh, so a lot of it is, education is just mm-hmm. educating them on um their chronic disease you know you know you, you name it type 2 diabetes obesity you know I see a lot of these for either management or whatever the case may be um but I had a patient in my office on Monday he was like I don't even know why I was referred to you I'm I, I'm doing great um his blood pressure everything's off the roof but he's doing great to, to him and we're having this conversation mm-hmm. and he goes and I go so so it sounds like you're doing well. So, what are, what are you doing? You know, tell me about your what you do. He said, well, um, I have a bowl of Cheerios every morning, and I go, okay, <laughs> okay, so, and we're going about the rest of his day. He says, yeah, I may go to McDonald's. My work there is easy. You know, it's easy. Or he talks, Mm -hmm. talking about all the things, all the other foods he's eating. I'm like, well, where are you killing it at? Like, that's what I'm thinking. And he thought he was doing well because of the heart symbol on his Cheerio box that, oh, I'm doing this. I'm eating healthy because I'm eating my Cheerios every morning. Right, right. And it was like, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. I mean,
1: yeah. I, I mean, I think that, and and and, you know, there is some truth to that. You know, certainly having Cheerios with the, you know, with the, with the, especially like the whole grain kind, and having it with milk or having with mm-hmm. fruit, and you know, all the kind of capturing that goes into that. Um, you know. It, is certainly a better choice than having, you know, donuts or not having Absolutely. breakfast at all, right? Absolutely. So that, that is certainly, you know, like I would certainly want to applaud that choice. But unfortunately, you're exactly right that what we're seeing with respect to that health halo is that as that it runs the risk of people thinking that 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 one behavior in isolation is enough to neutralize or offset a variety of other health behaviors that might be doing a, a real, you know, disservice or be uh, risk factors for them. Um, I mean, I I love that 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 this person is trying, and that that really yeah. speaks to mm-hmm. you know the motivation part that wants to follow health guidance and wants to you know to to engage in in what will make him a healthier person um but yeah just not really having the full education around it and unfortunately we're bombarded by so many conflicting pieces of information about how to make these choices that some people just end up getting overwhelmed and giving up yes yeah yeah, i I see really tough to navigate
0: thank you so much for
1: the work that you're doing yeah i mean what a what a critical service you're providing to the community and to the people that you're you're helping Thank you for doing that.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, and, and I and I enjoy it, and I I I feel like, you know, behavior change with the population that I serve, and I think you'll appreciate this too. We know what behaviors are healthy. We know that walking thirty minutes a day, the evidence shows that can improve cardiovascular. Disease, or, you know that, that can improve your cardiovascular health. We know we know eating proper fruits and vegetables. These are habits that are very important and they can help you live a healthier life. But for mm-hmm. some people, it's harder to get to that habit, right? It's harder to get to right. eating healthier. So creating these other habits, these smaller habits, these smaller changes to eat, maybe even get to walking every day or whatever, or to improve your exercise is what I've been finding so fascinating lately as I've been a lot of my sessions with my patients or the people that I serve. We hardly ever really talk about nutrition like that. Like we talk about it, mm-hmm. but we're so focused on okay, mm-hmm. what are the, you know, if then implementations? Like if you do this, then you do this. Like those behavior change strategies are a habit tracker, you know, to get to there mm-hmm. and make that a solid behavior.
1: Absolutely, it's so hard. I mean, we so much of what we get in terms of you know the education or the encouragement from the existing systems is okay. Here, here's the diet you need to follow. You need to get the fruits and vegetables. And you need to do this and you need to do this. So do that. And then also you need to exercise thirty minutes a day. So, so do that. And yeah. we, we don't really give people the tools to do that. And I, you know, I, I definitely share in the course and I share with students. Um, that even the specialists, even the people who study this and who are the treatment providers often need kind of extra encouragement around that. It's it's very difficult to to kind of practice what we preach. Um, and so I absolutely use the behavior strategies on myself, you know, just because I study this doesn't mean that it makes it easy for me to go out there and, and do the 30 minutes of physical activity a day or to, to meet the perfect dietary guidance, not by a long shot. It's, it's, it's constantly applying these principles in my own life and continuing to try to improve. We we live in a, you know, what many people have characterized as an obesogenic environment where food is supersized and perhaps the not healthiest and, and we are potentially persuaded by these health halos or promises of uh, promises that a particular product is healthy or will be good for us and perhaps persuaded by that, especially if we haven't studied nutrition ourselves. So I think that people genuinely want to do their best uh, and want to follow the proper guidance, but it's just very difficult to navigate. And it's also very difficult to, to apply when we are, you know, overscheduled and stressed out and preoccupied by other things and people are have a whole lot of competing demands and um, and we also I think kind of have a larger culture that tells us that, um, you know, engaging in self care or taking care of our own well being is somehow selfish um and Mm -hmm. so there are kinds of a lot of things especially you know I hear that a lot especially from working parents that like well you know I need to put my kids first I need to put my job first I've got to survive and provide and you know I can't just go off to the gym for an hour a day like who who has that kind of time and so it's that's also part of what the course is about is trying to build in you know very small changes and to kind of reframe it as you know you as the individual taking care of other people and, you know, being a health coach, working, being a working parent, that kind of thing, you sort of owe it to those people for whom you're responsible mm-hmm. too. Um, try to take care of of your own health as well. much the same way they tell you whenever you're taking an an airplane flight to um to put your own mask on first before right. putting it on a child. Um, because you know if you're not able to to get the air supply, if you if your health suffers, so will the health of those around you.
0: well, one, I think it's it's important to reframe that conversation with ourselves with some people. hear it a lot. Like, I I just, I feel guilty going to the gym after work because, you know, I, I have kids or my kids have activities. Well, what if you don't take care of yourself? You know, what's going to happen then? And then when it comes to habits, like I have this water jug here that tells me when I need to drink water. If I I didn't have this and it tell me like it has, it's time. I would never drink water, (laughs) Like, Like, but I have to have that. That's great.
1: I think that's awesome. Yeah, no. And that, and that's, you know, so you're using prompting and also reward and you're using kind of all these strategies and, and, and drinking water is a, is a wonderful nutritional goal as you learned from, from the class, you know, some people, many people chose um, to have water intake be their primary nutritional mm. goal, which I definitely applaud um, what a lot of times when we're doing this kind of behavioral goal setting I don't like to, and in fact, I actively discourage people from choosing goals like setting a calorie uh, limit Mm -hmm. or something like that. I would rather have people try to, you know, improve their nutritional landscape by adding something, you know, adding a particular nutrient, trying to drink. I'd like to um, discourage people from choosing a calorie limit, for example, and instead have them choose Um, goals where they might be adding something like adding a particular nutrient, adding, um, you know, a fresh fruit or fresh vegetable Mm -hmm. as an afternoon snack or replacing something, you know, if they have, if they usually might have chips while they're watching TV to have them instead replace that with a cup of tea or something like that, Mm -hmm. or even um, encourage people to perhaps change the patterns of eating like you know to reduce distracted eating and instead to you know set the table or enjoy a meal separate from from working on the computer or from watching television just to kind of have people draw their attention more to the tastes and flavors and the enjoying reinforcing uh elements of eating as opposed to just kind of and i think we've uh many people have had that experience of you know, watching a movie and getting very engrossed in the story, and then oh my gosh, the popcorn's gone. What happened? You know. Yeah. So, um, Trying. I, try I
0: actually used one of your uh, from the course, one of your strategies with a patient who same same thing. Uh, did the course? I was having these experiences with patients that I was wow. seeing, and a guy telling me how you know he, he just be on his sitting on his couch watching TV or playing video games. And in his mind, he had to have something next to him to eat or drink. And it was Mm -hmm. always chips. And it was just like, it was just mindless. It's funny, behavior changes, changing human behavior is so complex, but some of the strategies are just so simple in a way, like, Mm -hmm. you know, telling them like, hey, how about get your serving of chips and then put the bag away instead of having it right there or choose a different snack or, you know, so just little simple right. changes. And it's like, oh, I didn't even think about that. I can, and that is, just, you're changing someone's behavior. Human behavior is, is, is,
1: that's not, except. <laughs> <it's>, yeah, <laughs> it's so, yeah it's it so is. Hard. There's these very simple concepts, but so hard to do. And yeah. that's why, you know, I kind of have it and I don't want to you know, uh, just, just the sentiment that's so often there, um, both with respect to kind of the, the exercise industry or the gymnasium industry and the diet industry in general, this whole, like, you know, you can just do this. Oh, it's simple. No, it really is not. Oh, mm-hmm. um, if it were simple, then we wouldn't have these chronic diseases that are, you know, likely behaviorally uh, driven. You know, it's, it's, it's very hard to do.
0: Yeah. Um, well, It does it- take
1: patience and
0: Mm-hmm. Absolute patience. I was just going to say that. Sorry, patience, that? And then when you throw in, you know, um, someone's social determinants of health, like where they live, you know, um, how safe they feel in their right. environment, all these things play a part Absolutely. To where just saying, do this one thing and you'll Absolutely. be healthy is just not realistic.
1: Yeah, no, not at all. And yeah, no, not one bet. So it's, it, it does take, I think a very, um, critical analysis at the individual level in situations like that. And of course, then people in public health are working on the more structural environmental, you know, changes that yeah. we could possibly create to make this um, easier for people. Because as it is, it's, it's really an uphill battle um, in situations like this, where there are these kind of structural environmental pressures against engaging in healthy behaviors.
0: You know, and and Doctor White, from so you you have all this data from the students, right? Um, from them taking the course. Uh, tell me, was was there anything that stood out to you as far as you know um, a consistency and like strategy that you felt like was commonly used or a, a big benefit that a lot of people mm-hmm. should be doing?
1: Absolutely, I think that there were there were a few. Um, one of them is prompting and in, well, uh, several actually environmental engineering or structural um changes, prompting. And, um, and reinforcement. So I'll I'll explain each of those. Um, the first one would be like a structural or environmental change. And that would be an example of what you just described with the gentleman who would have chips on his sofa um, while playing video games or watching TV. So in that situation, then there, there are ways to kind of um, optimize um, the, the likelihood of choosing or selecting a healthier snack um, or to also prevent the likelihood of, going for kind of a less healthy snack so and this is something that like marketers and advertisers really know and so I think we can all relate to this experience if you're standing in this in the grocery store line and you're standing there for 10 minutes and then you're flipping to the magazines and then there's the candy display and then there's this other point of purchase display and you might grab a couple of last minute items just because they happen to be in your line of vision like have you ever had this experience? Yes. Happen mm-hmm. right, of course, yeah, and so like you know marketers know this supermarkets position things on the end caps to to drive people to select those items, and so when something kind of happens to cross your field of vision, you're much more likely to say, "Oh, I think I would like that right now same thing happens with selecting foods in our own kitchens or in restaurants or anything else, and so you can Take strategies to kind of clean up that environment. So, people will do things like if they want to increase their intake of fresh fruits or vegetables buy them wash them cut them put them in clear containers and put those containers at at eye level in their refrigerator Mm. Um, they will take their chips or candies or other snacks and either put them in the freezer so that they'd have to wait an hour for them to thaw out or just put them in opaque containers and in the cupboard as opposed to sitting right on the countertop Um, or or that kind of thing or you know also just having water close hand available with a straw ready to be you know easy to grab and 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 drink so those are all kinds of environmental sorts of changes um structural changes that can people can make in their immediate kind of workspace or home space and then, in terms of prompting, what you shared with your water bottle, you've got it actually, you know, marked out what time you should be drinking down to this level and what time here. And so, people are doing things like setting alarms with the, on their smartphones um, to remind them. Oh, okay, this is a stand break. I've been working for forty-five minutes. Now I'm going to stand up for ten minutes, and just do some stretches or um, walk up and down the stairs just to get my blood flowing a little bit. Um, And so people, that, that would be an example of prompting or, um, taking sticky notes and putting them places. And some people even talked about doing prompting um, by putting putting on their walking shoes. And when they'd put on their walking shoes, then they were much more motivated to just go out and say, you know what, I'm just going to walk around the block once. And then once they were already walking around the block once, then you know what, I'm already here. I'm just going to knock out two more laps around the block. And all of a sudden now they've walked for 20 minutes, so, a lot of these kinds of things to shape one's behavior to get them kind of initiating that process. And then the third widely used technique is reinforcement. And reinforcement um, means application of of rewards for engaging in this behavior. Um, so, you know, I, I shared that you know there was a ridiculous pair of sparkly boots that I really wanted to buy, but I could not justify an expense for some sparkly boots that, let's face it, I'm a grown-up. I do not need a pair of sparkly go-go boots, but I really wanted them. Um, uh, and so putting aside a small amount of money every week, if I met my behavioral goals, so that I could then um, buy myself this treat that I would not otherwise be able to justify. Um, And so people also talked about rewarding themselves with time, with leisure time, um, kind of guilt-free of, you know, what, I've worked really hard by engaging in, you know, these small behavior changes. And then over time, the People also describe that these reinforcements no longer are necessary because it's become intrinsically rewarding. People start to feel better and feel proud of themselves for accomplishing these goals. And that's really kind of the sweet spot of behavior change when you're like, oh, I'm doing this because it feels good and I right. like it.
0: Right. Yeah. You took action, you're seeing results and, and now you you understand the benefits of what you're doing. Um, that is one thing, Dr. White, that um, as a health coach, in, in working with people and getting them to that point, like saying, "Hey, this is working for me," and this that's great, and I'm seeing that. But then when they don't see me anymore, cause, you know, I'm not. I don't see them forever, you mm-hmm. know. So I I get them to that mm-hmm. point to where they understand their their chronic disease or they're doing better. And then we have like a, yeah. a maintenance phase where I see that are where I see them maybe once a month for a mm-hmm. while. Um, and then mm-hmm. and then it's like, okay, birdie go fly. Right. And at that point, right. it's like, exactly. oh man, after a month or two, then they're calling me again, being like, oh, I, I gained some weight. I need to see you again. You know, okay. what are some things? Yeah. yeah, you know, what are some things that people can do? Um, you know, in, in health coaching and having that um, behavioral support, I mean the evidence evidence shows me it's it's very beneficial. But what are what Absolutely. are some things people can do who are getting that behavioral support and then, mm-hmm. you know, trying to maintain everything they've done on their own?
1: Absolutely. You're exactly. Yeah, you're hitting on this this accountability as being mm-hmm. um, extremely helpful. Um Social support in general for these sorts of behaviors can be very helpful to the, to the extent to which during that maintenance phase, people might be able to bring in a friend or a family member as kind of an accountability partner is one strategy potentially help, you know, the, to um you know, to help with maintenance over the long term, um, encouraging them also. I mean, I'm really glad to hear that when people I mean, it's obviously a struggle to kind of experience benefits in, in health and then sort of a reversion to, to baseline. I'm so glad to hear that they call you, though. Mm, when that's when they kind of start to split back. And so often we'll, you know, in, in our um, clinical work, kind of the same thing. This is, this is something it's, it's, it's kind of naive to, to hope or to expect that, you know, someone's able to make a behavioral change and then keep it forever, because life throws all kinds of curveballs. And so where, you know, people have talked about even in the context of the pandemic, like, you know, I finally had a rhythm, I was able to go to the gym, or I was doing, you know, regular exercise, and then the pandemic hit, and now we have to quarantine. And now I can't, I can't get to the gym, or I can't engage. And so now, you know, I'm not getting the activity that I used to get. So, you know, these things happen all the time. I'd like that people kind of have this red line approach where they know they can come back to you. And so one thing we try to encourage people, if you know, if if, if one of their uh, if one of the things that have worked for them to kind of get to that zone of of being able to engage in the behavior, if to 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 have them have this toolkit that they know they can go back to those original strategies. And so sort of in that maintenance phase to say, like, you know, these are the things that worked for you, writing down what you were eating or giving yourself this reward or the prompting. And then, you know, after some months, maybe you don't need that so much, but if you start slipping back, then let's go back to basics and start applying those principles, those strategies that worked for you originally. It's almost a
0: blessing. They can't have someone to fall back on if, if they need to. Right to be able to get that yeah. get that back rolling yeah. again. So you know, I want to uh, talk more about you know the, the 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 mental health kind of part of of the course. That's how I heard about the course was people were sharing it on LinkedIn and talking about it and oh. how how it helped them. That's that's how I I've, I saw you. I'm like, oh, this is really oh. cool. Okay, oh,
1: that's great. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it was. It was I come to find out that you know that the health behavior change from evidence to actions the name of the course um was yeah. more than just about mental health there was there was a, a lot in the course but primary part of it that I was hearing from people was the mental health part and talking about right. you know depression and I want to say maybe it, it makes sense because of what was going on with the pandemic and people being isolated and right. feeling that a lot more right. so it, it right. makes sense. But, you know, when you were putting this together, that wasn't, that wasn't going on. <laughs> that wasn't. So Right, right. Uh, what are some things that, you know, you, you see, I, I think there was one, there was one part talking about, you know, depression and I, and I'm sure being, you know, I know in college, I saw it everywhere. You know, even I suffered from just, you know, you, you, it was, mm-hmm. if you weren't up at one o'clock in the morning studying, it was like, what are you doing? You're not, you're going right. to fail. Yeah, you know right. I mean, so you're you're dealing with that mental Absolutely. thing constantly, and I'm sure you see a lot of that on on campus. You know, what was some of the uh, feedback you got? You know, or what, what are some of the, you having like data or any advice on the depression part for this younger generation?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think that, and that's where it kind of gives circles back to that public health approach to this when we're trying Mm -hmm. to understand, um, you know, treatment for depression um, and trying to, you know, we kind of look to identify patterns in how this happens. And so, you know, stepping aside from the genetic or heritable kind of contributions to depression, we know there are those um, Of kind of looking at other sorts of risk factors. So certainly environmental um, you know, being socially isolated or disconnected from one's primary support group or being isolated. These are all uh, obvious risk factors for depression. And then other things like um, financial strain or insecurity, food insecurity, nutrition, uh, poor nutrition, alcohol and other substance abuse, um. And then things like stress, um, certain styles of thinking, um, you know, uh, just gen- I, I just think of the university setting and young emerging adulthood in general as just being a pressure cooker of sort of creating a perfect st- storm for the onset of significant mental health problems, um, such as depression and anxiety. And of course, there's a great deal of overlap among those two um, uh, disorders or of the you know, spectrum of disorders as well. Um, and so we really are seeing significant spikes in recent years of depression and anxiety on the university campuses, but we're also seeing it in the community as well. And especially now we're seeing really significant mental health effects of the pandemic and the the uncertainty that that has brought. Um, so. I feel like mental health
0: up until now was kind of the redheaded stepchild of health in a way. Like It was there. We knew about it, but it wasn't talked about as strongly as nutrition. It wasn't talked about as much as exercise. We now know, well, a lot of people have known, but we know more now than ever that mental health is super important.
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, absolutely. And I, and I think that it's you know it's so interconnected with physical health as well. So yeah. I don't even think we can talk about them as necessarily. You know I see them as very highly overlapping components of like this Venn diagram of, of wellness. Right. Um, and so I, I, mental health is definitely getting a lot more attention, attention uh, recently, but we also know how um, how relevant it is to physical well-being. And and that's something actually kind of learning in the context of this course. Not only are students reporting um, improvements in their physical well-being as a result of engaging in these you know very specific health behaviors toward their nutrition or physical fitness, um, it's actually the mental health outcomes have been most readily influenced by engagement in these physical activities. Mm. So, whereas students are encouraged to engage in wellness behaviors around their mental health, things like engaging in meditation or deep breathing exercises, or performing small acts of kindness, or gratitude journaling, of prayer, engagement in you know religious services, a variety of a very um, novel and and a wide you know, spectrum of, of mental wellness activities that students choose. But the, the the strongest predictor of improvements in the mental health outcomes have been engagement in the physical behaviors.
0: You know, we, we know that cognitive behavioral therapy is, is an option. We know that medicine mm-hmm. is an option, but not everybody has those options available to them or want to go that route right now. But what you're right. saying is, you know, Absolutely. just, you know, impr- exercise can be a great way or, you know, um, being gratitude journals, things like that can be great things you can do to improve your mental health.
1: Yes, to improve or, or even potentially just to prevent
0: mm-hmm, um, prevention. decline. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, so that was actually the way it was framed. And I, and we are actually seeing improvements. But the way um, that the, the class was originally framed was to try to prevent the predictable decline that we usually see when students start Grad school or to start these very high stress situations. So what we typically, what we, you know, observe throughout the country and throughout the world um, is that, you know, students start school and they're kind of like fine. And then all of these environmental stressors start happening and uh, physical health maintenance kind of declines students might start out you know eating well and engaging in sports and physical activity and then they don't have time for that anymore and so their physical health declines and their mental health declines and so the class was designed to kind of prevent that decline but what we're seeing actually is that not only is it preventing the decline it's also showing improvements even in the wow. context of this high stress situation. So that's awesome. And it's, and it's primarily because of this kind of attention, I think, to their physical well being, in addition to mental well being. I think that, that that's powerful as well. Certainly, there's a, a lot of emerging research showing that attention to you know, meditation um, and engagement in mindfulness practices are very powerful in helping one's emotional well being. Um, but it's also when, People um, are engaging in this uh, physical um, well-being that's helping their mental well-being. And I'm not quite sure why. I don't know what the mechanism um, of that is yet, because I haven't um, been able to it would just those data are, are still being collected. Um, but I really think that it might have to do with this notion of self-efficacy, mm. which is one's personal belief in or confidence in one's own ability to overcome adversity or to, you know, to, to meet challenges. And I think there's really something to that. You know, if you set a, a, a behavioral goal of, you know what, I'm going to eat a piece of fresh fruit every day and you do it for like a week straight, you're like, yes, I did yeah. this. This is awesome. And you know, you, you not only do you start to feel better, but you're also like, I did this, that, that is an achievement. And it is one that, you know, you should be proud of because that's not, it, it sounds easy on the surface, but it's right. actually not an easy thing to do. Um, and I, and I think that people are starting to feel better. I mean, I know I certainly experienced that. Are you kidding me? I mean, I'm looking at this behavioral goal sheet and I've got all these little checks and I'm like, Ooh, I'm doing it, you know? And it's, yeah. you yeah, feel better about yourself.
0: You, you really do. You really do. And, um, I think the, the only, the only thing that, you know, I would, you know, I tell even my patients or people that I'm just talking to randomly is, you know, um, what I, what I see a lot is they have those behavior charts or the, I give, I have like a habit tracker, right. I give them and they do it twice and they're like, where's the change? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, I've done it twice in a row. Where's my change at? (laughs) You know, and it's like, well, give it some yeah. time and start, once you start seeing more of those X's or those check marks, you know what I mean? It's, it's encouraging yeah. and you're, you're yeah. improving. Like you said, your self-efficacy, you feel more confident in yourself. Like yeah. you can do this, do yeah. those little things that make those big changes.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And but, I do think, you know, you, you hit it, but I think that it can't be emphasized enough is this, the social element and the accountability partner part of it. Yeah. Um, you know, so the, the work that you're doing and coaching people and kind of equipping them with these tools, but also providing a very critical social support um and encouragement. And so, but I think that, you know, so that's wonderful to have the clinical experts providing this. And then to the extent that we can encourage people to kind of get their friends or their social networks involved um, is good too. So, you know, I'm I'm very excited that, you know, I was able to kind of hook one of my good friends from childhood into meeting me every day on a zoom yoga. Um, so we do oh, we do cool. a YouTube video for, for 10 minutes a day, just 10 minutes, you know, because I, just uh, to do more would be overwhelming. I think for both of us, we're busy. We have different schedules, right. but we can figure out a time to meet for 10 minutes. And and I feel proud of myself because this is something new that I don't ordinarily do, Um, and it's, you know, obviously it's good for strength training. It's also good for kind of mental, you know, decompressing. So it's something we do in the evenings and and just connect. But then it's also, would kind of keep ourselves, you know, there are days that I want to skip it, but she's like, okay, you ready? You ready to go? And I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to go. Let's do it. And it's, it's motivating more, you know, just to see her and just to say hi and of course I'm terrible at it. You know, I'm falling over and can't balance. And so then she'll laugh at me and then somebody's dog will walk in front of the camera. And it, just, <laughs> it just brings it, you know, the social connection part is so motivating. But then at the end of the week, I'm like, I just did, I just did 50 minutes of yoga over yeah. the past five days. And that's strength training. And I should be proud of myself. And I am proud of myself.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause that, cause it adds it's up. Free.
1: It's on YouTube you know, it adds up. It adds up. So,
0: and I'm curious, I'm curious, you know, does it, do you feel like doing that 10 minutes help you? Does that help you be mindful of other things in your life that you have going on as far as how you're eating or how you're doing other things? You feel like it keeps you mindful and on track?
1: I think it does. And also, so I think that it has this kind of trickle effect. Mm -hmm. So not only in, in terms of my own behaviors, but also for those around me. So you know, my family observes me doing this, you know, and I'll hear right. my nine-year-old son from another room saying, good job, Yogi. But what <laughs> is that, that, what is that doing? That's showing, you know, I'm modeling this yeah. for him, right? Modeling so, a healthy you know, behavior. as he goes into adulthood, he's going to have this. Yeah. And so he, you know, while I've tried to encourage him to do it with me and he's rejecting me, I know one of these days he's going to be like, all right, you know what? I have nothing better to do. I'm gonna join mom for a little yoga. He's very (laughs) active. He's a kid.
0: Um, But uh,
1: but you know, I think that it's a very important thing to to model for for him and for his well being. Yeah,
0: and then they'll hold you accountable to
1: absolutely because you know we do this
0: thing at my house where I don't know if you heard it's called the traffic light system for food. So yes,
1: I do know the traffic light.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I also do a pediatric weight management program at at the hospital that I work so at my own home we have we do green light foods yellow light foods and red light foods and it never fails my son, that's awesome my son will say dad that's a red light food are you sure you're gonna eat like
1: oh that's cool how old is he he's eight how old is he he's eight Oh yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, like, so and that's wonderful, right? Like think about what you're you've you've, you know, provided this and that's gonna carry him through for it. So it's a, a great thing for when parents can do this stuff in front of and for their children because you know, without even being, you know, active um educators on it, we are really providing right. them with really great thing.
0: Absolutely that's cool. Well, doc Dr. White, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. If anybody listening wanted to get a hold of you or um, learn more about the course, you know, how can they reach out to you and, you know, wh- what can they do?
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, well, we have just started a Twitter as of yesterday. Um, and so we would love people to follow us there. You did Great. Um, so that is at it's Yale at Yale BX, which is just an abbreviation for behavior and then change. So it's Yale BX change. I'm also on LinkedIn and we have an Instagram, which is also Yale behavior change, I believe. And so we are just trying to um, just now trying to uh, create some social media channels so that we can get in touch with people and uh, try to push out uh, information or research that might be helpful to people or strategies. Um, So would love, uh, love people to follow us and reach out there um, that uh, those channels are, are managed by some of the mentors on the Coursera class, as well as Yale students and myself. Um, So we all are trying to, I'm learning a lot, um, uh, but that would be great ways to, to, to reach out to us there.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, And everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project podcast. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast with your host, Corey Dion Lewis, primary care health coach and health education specialist. You will learn from health professionals from all over the world on how to plan and take action to improve your health and live with purpose on purpose. Like to work one-on-one with Corey to achieve your goals? Go to healthcoachlou.com or email Corey at Corey at HealthCoachLew.com.